2: A warm up from Welcome to lovely Las Vegas with Cuscus Heaps with myself, Greg Heaps Peters, and now part of the Neeson Family Podcast. We've got a tremendous podcast for you guys. In segment number two, our good friend Jim Root of the Three Man Weave is going to be joining me. We're going to be taking a look at the marquee Big 12 games for this Monday. we to. Recap what we all saw over the weekend. The trend of us not necessarily having top teams in college basketball. Also going to be taking a look at how he's been gauging more of the overs that we've been seeing. You're going to hear it here in the first segment that we have been seeing quite a few overs recently in college basketball and how he's been adjusting some of his numbers because both of us are guys that do look a little bit more at the under, so we're going to be discussing that and so much more in segment number two. In the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Janet underscore one Keep in mind, letters you Maybe it does not matter as per usual. Please send these into the timeline and the other way. That's fine in An Apple Podcast Review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we had a fun day of college basketball on Sunday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these seems a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. The Player of the Year race just continues to get more and more lopsided. Purdue, they win. They cover against Michigan State by a count of 77-61, to 61, and Zach Eady was a man possessed in this game. 38 points, 13 rebounds, and a trio of steals. He completely dominated this game. Nobody else for Purdue in the starting lineup had more than nine points. You did have David Jenkins coming off the bench for 11, but he just completely manhandled this game. Michigan State lost the rebound battle by a count of 37-26 to 26 as for Michigan State, they were forced into 14 turnovers. AJ Hogarth had 20 points, but Purdue, a team that's honestly not been really a great cover team, they've been able to win a lot of these games straight up, but not necessarily by margin. They were able to do so very easily in this one. The woes of Villanova continue. Villanova now seven and 14 against the spread. They lose to Providence by a count of 70-65 to 65 on their home floor as Jared Bynum was the big reason why Providence was able to get the job done in what was very much a nip and tuck game all throughout Bynum. 19 points. He's had a tough time shooting from three all season long, but he comes in off the bench. Goes three of four from three-point range. Seven of eight overall from the floor against the Villanova team that, well, their defense has been very shaky. Cam Whitmore he had a nice game for Villanova in this one. 21 points, nine rebounds, and Villanova, they win the turnover battle by a count of eight to nine, but For Providence, they just had the best player out there on the floor in Jared Bynum take things over. Well, typically not the best player on the floor, but on this day, he was certainly the best player on the floor. And for Providence, they have now covered six out of their last eight games within conference play. So they've been looking solid there. Penn State has been looking very solid as well. They take it to Michigan by a count of 83-61 to for Michigan. Not a lot doing for them. You did have Jet Howard be able to contribute 21 points in this one for Jed Howard. He was missing in the team's previous game in which a loss against Purdue. He came back he looked rock solid but Hunter Dickinson 6 points 2 rebounds. It was not a savory performance for him. Terrence Williams he chips in there 7 points as well Penn State was able to completely neutralize everything that Michigan was looking to do down low, and they went 13-30 of 30 from three-point range. Jalen Pickett needs all American consideration. 25 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. He was absolutely tremendous in this game. Penn State, they turned the ball over just nine times. They win the rebound battle, 36-27, just all Penn State. In this one, you did also notice that Iona, they very nearly got the cover. It's been a less than savory year against the spread for them, especially in conference, but they were able to get the win against Quinnipiac by a count of 78-72. to Closing line was 8, and this was a game that was on 8 with, I would say, like 10 or so seconds remaining before Quinnipiac threw the ball in the basket, but should have never been this big of a spread. If you ask me, because you saw Quinnipiac be up 17 to two to begin the game, and then all of a sudden things became an almighty slog in this one. As for Iona, they were able to have Walter Clayton bust out for 17 points. Iona goes just eight of 24 from three-point range. But that said. What they did a very solid job of was being able to get second chances. They had 17 offensive rebounds, and they won the turnover battle by a count of 17 to 10. So Iona, uh, they're able to get up off the mat. They're able to get the outright win, but they do not get a cover on the closing number on this one. A team that has not gotten a lot of covers all season long. And in most places, this was a push. If you got a 12 and a half, you did get a cover with Tulsa. They lose to... Uh, Memphis by a count of 80 to 68 in Tulsa. They were pretty much tied up at the half, and they were right there with 10 to 12 minutes remaining before Memphis was able to pull away late for Tulsa. They go just seven to 26 from three point range. They did have Tim Dalger chip in their 17 points. That was very helpful for them and for Memphis. Kendrick Davis continues to be amazing. 26 points, five assists, but on a lot of numbers, this is going to go down as a push. And that means that Tulsa still your worst cover eight team in all of college basketball under most closing numbers three fifteen and two against the spread for some of you guys four fifteen and one against the spread but certainly less than savory there this was less than savory for a team that's been able to be one of your better money makers out there in UNC Greensboro they lose to the Furman by a count of sixty nine to fifty seven it was just all Furman all along in this game as. For Furman, they were able to do a nice job with J.P. Peaks being able to chip in their 17 points, and team as a whole, they go 8 of 17 from 3 point range. Peaks went 7 of 11 at the free fly, and he's always open for production and for UNC Greensboro. They just weren't able to get a lot going from the outside, 2 of 12. From 3 part range. Now, also note that for UNC Greensboro, they were a little bit short-handed in this game as their top scorer and Keyshawn Langley he came in off the bench. I have no idea why they tried this out. Typically, he's in the starting lineup. He had 26 minutes. He contributed just four points. We shall see if they're looking to do that moving forward because this was a big giant stink burger for them. Drake they were able to hand Belmont a big giant stink burger, 79 to 61. Drake able to get a very convincing win as Belmont, a team that entered in this game shooting about 40% from three, went one of 16 from distance. It's a Drake team that ranks in the top 45 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Just completely put the clamps down on them. Ben Shepard still got his 21 points, but past that, not a lot doing. And then you got Roman Penn along Garrett Sturts combined for 32 points, 9 assists, very impressive showing by Drake as they were able to get a very convincing win and they were able to get a pretty easy cover. Bradley has been one of your better cover eight teams this season but all of a sudden Bradley has been playing quite a few more overs. They were an under machine to begin the season. They have now played I believe if my math is correct each out of their last seven games to the over 83 to 76 final this one. They might have had a stray under somewhere along the way but for Bradley 11 of 23 from three point range. UIC, they go 9 of 24 from the outside with Jace Carter chipping in their 25 points, 10 rebounds. And something that I am going to be talking with our good friend Jim Root about a little bit more is the offensive efficiency that we are seeing. All of a sudden, we're seeing more efficiency betting on Georgetown. Georgetown, all of a sudden, has been able to cover four straight games. They lose to St. John's. If you saw me tweet out when I live bet St. John's in this game, that was able to get through for you. But 75-73, to 73, a nip-and-tuck game. As for Georgetown, they hold in there because Primo Spears, 25 points. Now Georgetown they had a nice second-half lead that they did like get away as they were up... 64-55 to 55 with about 8 or so minutes remaining in the second half so that was one that they weren't able to get to the window so you always want to be live betting against Georgetown because they can't seem to close out games had a big reason why they couldn't close out Joel Soriano, 12 points 15 rebounds for St. John's, St. John's was able to win the turnover battle by kind of 15-12. to 12. And for Georgetown, they were able to get quite a bit out of Brandon Murray as well. He chipped in their 17 points, but that said, St. John's just a little bit too much onions at the end. A.J. Store had a very big three late in this game for St. John's, so they get the all right win. But Georgetown, all of a sudden, they will do a better job of being able to get covers. The DK Nation pick of Rutgers, unfortunately, did not get to the window as Iowa, they were able to get it done 92. 3 to 82, and Iowa has scored at least 85 points in every single one of their home games as far as this season. It has been relatively incredible what we've been seeing there in Rutgers. They are now 14 and seven against the spread, so they've still been a pretty rock solid cover team. But that said, they just couldn't guard the three point arc in this one. Iowa, 12 of 24 from three point range, a complete sizzler, and they won their turnover battle, 18 to 12. When you allow a team to go 12 of 24 from three and you lose the turnover battle, not so savory there. And also for Iowa, 29 of 34 at the free throw line. It toasts a eleven point thirteen assist game that Paul Muke had as he was pretty terrific for Rutgers. But Rutgers unable to get this one in. Young Sound State, they were able to get this one in. They're now 14 and 7 against the spread. They take down Detroit by kind of 73 to 63. A Detroit team that has not been playing any defense whatsoever against one of the more efficient offenses in college basketball, of them to just seventy-three, but for Young Sound State, They've got a rarity in a top scoring Dwayne Cole that's shooting over 50% from three-part inch. Went four of seven from the outside, 20 points, seven rebounds, five assists. This young Sansei team is a force and Antoine Davis. He had just 15 points as he's looking to become the all-time leader in scoring in Division 1 NCAA history. He's going to really need to score a lot as he's probably going to need to average like 36-37 points to be able to get that moniker, but that was not necessarily what he was looking for. If you were a backer of Fairfield, this is not what you were looking for as Fairfield. They had a double-digit lead on Ryder throughout much of the first half. Even in the second half, they were leading throughout much of it, but they lose in overtime. 78-69 to 69, as Ryder was able to get this one in with Dwight Murray Jr. being able to contribute 18 points and for Fairfield they've just been a little bit of all over the place all season long so that was a little bit less than savory for them and if you're taking a look at college basketball right now, but it's been less than savory has been unders recently. 1,876 overs to 1,799-unders overall for the season. So we have seen 51% of games overall the season go over. You've got home underdogs starting to dry up a little bit as well. They're still hitting at 52.5% against the spread for the season at 538, 486, and 21 against the spread. But if you take a look at the last seven days in college basketball, home underdogs 51, 53, and 3 against the spread. Meanwhile, overs hitting at a 57.4% clip. 193 and 143 over the last seven days. And then if you want to space it out a little bit more, you want to go the last 30 days to really zone in on just conference play, 805 overs, to 718 unders, that is 52.9% to the over in that time span. And home underdogs, 243, 248, and 14 against the spread. They've really been struggling in conference play. Something that's never in a struggle, the gentlemen of the three-man weave. It's always a pleasure to get any of those three aboard. Today, it's going to be Jim joining me coming up next. We are going to be taking a look at this topic of how to gauge all these overs. We're going to be talking about just the fact that we don't have a clear number one team in college basketball. We'll take a look at the two Big 12 games for this Monday as well. Next here on Coastal Seats with myself, Guy Eats Peterson, now a part of the Heats Family Podcast. We're back here. Love you, love you. Thank you. We're with myself, Craig e. Peterson. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always great to be joined by this man, Jim Root. Does absolutely tremendous work over at the three-man. We've taken a look at the great game of college basketball. And to be able to follow that, find outlet that, that is at the number 3 M W underscore CBB. I know that they've been doing a lot of shows over there at Action Network. Field of 68. A little bit of written work being done as well and jim much like myself is in the circus sports college hoops challenge and myself and jim are laying waste to everyone right now hopefully i didn't put a axe on us but jim is sitting at number one at eight one and one i'm sitting at a very close number two at eight and two so it's going to be an exciting battle moving forward and to be able to follow jim on twitter that is at second chance points as number two and d chance points all together and jim Great to have you aboard. Thank you.
4: Great to be here, Greg. Yeah, we are locked in an epic battle here. The field will catch up to us sooner rather than later, and it's a long ways to go. Seven more days to pick our five selections, but... Have to be pleased with the start. We're, we're in
2: solid shape. Yep, absolutely. And if either of us, what it's all said and done, hits north of 80%, yeah, you will have earned that victory because, man, it is hard to do whether the sample size is one day or the sample size is a few weeks because what we're doing right now is not necessarily what should be expected, but with that said, Jim, it has been a very interesting college basketball season to say the least, and It just continues to be the theme. There's just not really a clear number one team. And I just take a look conference by conference. And there's a lot of parity out there. And I've had to go a lot more matchup base with regards to my handicapping. I'm not sure if you've had to do the same. But there's just not too many teams whatsoever where it's like, yep, on any given night, I could feel good about backing them because they're just unequivocally better. We just don't have those top teams in college basketball this year. And it's very parity driven.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even team I've kind of been beating the drum for since the start of the year, Houston lost at home as a 19 point favorite last weekend. Like every team is vulnerable to it. Purdue's been the most immune to, to those like really let down losses to this point. So I think they're justifiably number one in the polls, top of the bracketology projections, getting the number one overall seed. But we got a long ways to go still to sort out who's going to be the actual best team. It certainly feels like a year where a lot of different teams can win it, and we won't end the tournament feeling like, oh, I don't know if the best team won, just who was playing the best in March and April, is who's going to end up getting that national title. So excited for it. It's going to be a mystery as we go forward.
2: Absolutely. I just take a look at this entire landscape of college basketball, and it's going to be the good old boxing adage of matchups make fights for me. And what has really been working slash not working for your college handicapping recently? Because I take a look at the last three days in college basketball, and Overs have been hitting at a relatively big rate, and it's typically the opposite of what you find, because typically when it comes to conference play, you find a lot of home underdogs being able to come through. You find a lot of unders being able to prevail as well, because typically with a little bit more familiarity, you find that teams know each other a little bit more, they're able to throttle down. We have not really seen a lot of that this year. And honestly, home underdogs have been a tad bit disappointing in recent weeks. So what have you been finding in general? Because I think that that has been something that has been a bit of a surprise to me.
4: Yeah, I've been betting a lot of unders this year. That's kind of the reputation I've developed on our Field of 68 show, a little (laughs) bit of an undertaker. And that's been tougher. Of this recent stretch, efficiency has just skyrocketed. I was talking about this with Kai and Matt, the other three men we've got right before This call, pace is pretty stable. Basically, every day, it's been hovering right around 67 possessions per game on average. Okay, that's normal. We can handle that. But efficiency, it spiked in mid-January, got up around like 105. Then the last few days have been ridiculous, like 108 on Friday up to 106. Saturday was like 105 and a half points per 100 possessions. And that's really rare in college basketball. Like It just typically isn't that efficient. That's more like professional type stuff where... Shots are always going in, and teams are figured out opposing defenses. It's surprising to see in league play, like you said, the familiarity you kind of expect that to offset maybe the slowdown in pace. But it's been hard to identify the right underspots because of that skyrocketing efficiency, and I'm trying to keep up with that in my ratings at this stage.
2: And how much of it do you think is a little bit more matchup-based? Because I take a look at a lot of the top defenses in the country, and unfortunately they go up against one another because a lot of the top defenses – Non-conference, they belong to the Big 12, teams like Texas, Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas Tech. Name your good defense here. They go up against one another, and typically a team with a relatively solid defense like they all do, they've got a pretty good offense with a lot of size, a lot of versatility as well. And I think that that has been a little bit of a reason for some of these overs as well, because you see these really good defensive metrics out of conference for a lot of these teams, but then they get pitted up against one another and something has to prevail.
4: Yeah, you mentioned all the good defenses in the Big 12, like the SECs like that. You got Tennessee, Florida, Mississippi State, Arkansas, like teams that really can lock down on that end. And then in other leagues, uh, specifically the Big East really jumps to my mind. You've got the Xavier offense, the Creighton offense, the Marquette offense are all elite. You throw those guys together and I know the numbers do their best, the odds makers do their best to account for that. But sometimes it has just a little more of a compounding effect when you put a bunch of great offenses against great offenses or great defenses against great defenses. I've been trying to do more of the matchup stuff. Um, It's harder on days where there are 148 games, like a Saturday. But yeah, trying to figure out, like, is there a specific weakness that this team's going to exploit and be able to score efficiently? It's tough because I definitely like to do under uh, total betting by pace as much as possible. And it's really been having to to think a lot more about efficiency and how teams are able to score against the other one, and and that – that has added a significant wrench into this point in the year, handicapping those totals specifically. Sides are you know a little
2: different, but totals has definitely been a juggling act. We've been seeing more teams be much more prolific from 3 point range this year rather than last year. If you're shooting 33% from 3 point range this year, that is below average by college basketball standards. Last year, that'd be more around probably 160th if I were to spitball a number. So that has been interesting to take a look at as well as we've got Jim Rood who does amazing work over at the three men. We've me on the podcast and Jim, we saw a absolutely rambunctious weekend in college basketball on Saturday. And really the last few weeks in general have been interesting. Have there been a couple teams, whether it be from Saturday or just the last few weeks in general, that have been catching your attention that you're either sock up or sock down on them. Like I'll give you one from outside the SEC big 12 challenge for me, Illinois going on the road, knocking off Wisconsin. That spoke to me, Matthew Meyer, his emergence for Illinois. Has me feeling really good about them. And then in the SEC versus Big 12 challenge, I do think that they were big-time beneficiaries of the injury to Mike Miles. But with that said, with Mississippi State, they've got the defense to be able to honestly win quite a few games and make some noise in March if things break right. They also have... A big time floor with how bad their offense is, but those are a few teams I took a look at and I was relatively impressed with. Are there a few that come to mind for you?
4: Yeah, definitely. I I think Creighton and Baylor are probably the first two that come to mind in this category. Creighton just seems like they are on a rocket ship right now. They've sorted out their offensive pecking order a little bit. They're scoring more efficiently even when they don't make all their threes, which was kind of the knock I had them on, on them early in the year was they were streaky and. It was hard to figure out when you could trust him, when you couldn't. But the defense is still there with Kalkbrenner. He provides them 80% shooting, it feels like, every night inside the arc. So that's a nice floor that he gives them. And then the young guys, the sophomores, are really blossoming right now. Shireman's given them that playmaker, shooter option after transferring from South Dakota State. So I think Creighton is really trending up. And their resume stuff is going to start to catch up with their predictive analytics. I think that's going to happen over the next couple weeks here. And then Baylor, I love them coming into the year. I thought the backcourt was just going to be unstoppable. And that's kind of what's started to happen now. They've been hyper-efficient in league play. They scored over a point per possession against Arkansas, a really good defense in that SEC Big 12 challenge. The defense is still lacking a little bit. They're struggling to stop teams in the paint. Uh, It's just not a team built to have a whole lot of shot blocking. They play some smaller guards that struggle to keep guys in front. But the guards are going to be able to make plays against just about anybody. Uh, We saw that against Arkansas. We've seen it. It's Kansas, Oklahoma. I mean, they've won six in a row. The Bears are ascending back up, and – I had them number two in the preseason. I don't quite have them back to number two, but powering-wise, I have them top six again. So I think the Bears and Creighton are two teams that are definitely ascending.
2: Yep, I like what you said about Baylor because they're going to be going on the road and facing off against Texas on Monday. On a Monday slate that isn't necessarily too big, but this is one that I think is of massive intrigue. As joining me on the podcast, we do have Jim Root of the three-man weave, and I take a look at this game, and what I really like here is a total under. I recognize that Texas has been playing out a little bit of a faster pace, but I have to think that Texas is going to look themselves in the mirror and be like, yeah, we've sped up, and ever since we've sped up, things have not been going well for us. Meanwhile, for Baylor, in this most recent five-game run, because they're on a six-game win streak, but last five games, I've noticed that they're playing at a pace that is about six or so possessions fewer than the rest of the year, and it's been working out relatively well for them. I'm not sure what your take is. I do think that Texas is going to be able to snap this win streak of Baylor. But that said, I do think that you're seeing Baylor turn over a little bit of a new leaf with their defense, and it's been something that's really been working out for them.
4: Yeah, the tempo's huge for Baylor. They're playing completely differently from a pace perspective. They had a couple slow games early in the year, the back-to-back Washington State, Northwestern State. They played barely over 60 possessions, but there's a lot of 70 or even high 70s they would get up to sometimes, and they're not getting anywhere close to that in league play. I think you can watch them and see they're making a conscious choice to play more methodically, play through their guards and let guards like out efficient teams in the half court uh, I think they're trying to avoid giving up too many transition opportunities defensively because the defense already has enough holes. You don't want to give up those efficient possessions. They just think they're going to be better in the half court than you are. And most of the time they've been right. So I'm looking at the under there as well, mostly because of that pace stuff. We already discussed on this interview the the efficiency that skyrocketed. So that scares me a little bit. But just looking at Ken Pond's projection of 69 possessions for Baylor, Texas, I'd be shocked if it's that high. And so if you tell me I can get three less possessions than that, I've usually got to take a gamble on an under.
2: Yep, I totally agree with you. I've been very intrigued to take a look at Baylor, them slowing down, and I do think that that's going to be a good one. And then how do you gauge this Iowa State versus Texas Tech game that we're going to be seeing on Monday as well? Because with Texas Tech, they're a one-point underdog, and I think the big key for Iowa State is the injury to Caleb Girl. They're just not the same defense without them, and it's an Iowa State team that – You know that they're not going to necessarily light it up on offense. They do a relatively solid job just in general of being able to generate steals. That is still going to be there for them, especially going up against the Texas Tech team that turns the ball over a little bit over 14 times per game. But I think the big key for Iowa State is whether or not Grill plays, because if he doesn't, I think that they're in fear of taking another loss.
4: Yeah, it's a tough one to handicap because of the injuries on both sides. Grills, I think, enormous, both defensively, like you mentioned, and then it's not a team loaded with shooting. He's a kind of guy that really pulls attention away from other people, opens more driving lanes for Lipsy and Holmes to get into because of uh, the gravity of his shooting ability. Then on the Texas Tech side, Pop Isaacs was out this weekend. Uh, Didn't hurt them against LSU that much, but I think that's mostly because LSU is pretty terrible right now. But no Isaacs and no IMAC really hurts them. Isaacs especially. They played a lot of games without IMAC. I think they can handle that. Bacho is a really capable replacement, but in the same way as Grill for Iowa State, Isaacs is the one like big-time floor spacer on the perimeter. He's made 47 threes in 19 games. Like He can really light it up. And I think without him, against that Iowa State defense, Iowa State can pressure even more without fear of getting punished from beyond the arc. We'll see. If Texas Tech maybe turned over a new leaf after finally getting a win after a bunch of close losses. Perhaps that'll get them going and get that home win. But if Grill's back in there, and I, I'm hoping he will be, I'll probably end up siding with Iowa State on that
2: one. I think that the big key is Grill. If Grill is back, I'm willing to side with Iowa State. I'm sort of thinking he might be out of the fold, and that would put me on Texas Tech. So I am in wait-and-see mode there. But something that I can always see is the great work of you, Jim. You do amazing work over there at the three-man. Weave. and all three of you guys, you along with our other good friends and Kai and Matt, I'll do an amazing job taking a look at the great game of college basketball. You guys do a great job with shows, podcasts, and so much more. So I'll have to get people at home. You know, it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms.
4: Yeah, you mentioned the Twitter. I appreciate that. Three Man Weave, 3MW underscore C V B. My personal handle is at Second Chance Points. It's ND Chance Points. And then the big stuff we're working on a lot is the shows, the daily shows we do for Field of 68, Best Bets that is at 1 p.m. eastern on weekdays and 11 a. or 11:15 a.m. eastern on weekends typically mostly Saturdays we don't do a lot of Sunday shows and then this week we're kicking off the Big Bets on Campus show with Action Network a live show on Saturday mornings that will be at 10:30 a.m. central and it's us 3 and Stucky from the Action Network a very well respected name in the college basketball betting world so we're excited about that carrying that show over from last year it'll be about Half hour long. We'll all get four or five bets out for the the big Saturday slates, and we have a good time with it. It's a, it's a good hang on Saturday morning. So people feel free to check that out as well.
2: Absolutely, you guys always have a good time with that, and I have a good time whenever I'm able to get any of the gentlemen from the three man weave aboard in today. It was our good friend Jim who joined me. A big thanks to Jim Root of the three man weave for. Joining the podcast today, Coast to Coast Soup's now part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots.
3: Apple Podcasts
2: or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here, lovely Las Vegas. We're going to go hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peters, and now a part of the Visa and family of podcasts. It's always great to get Jim Root aboard. He does amazing work over there at the Three Man Weave, and really all the gentlemen over there at the Three Man Weave. You got Jim, Kai, and Matt. They all doing an incredible job. It's always a pleasure to get any of those three men on the podcast as they all do tremendous work and they all have tremendous insights. And Jim also tearing it up in the VEASAN College Basketball Picking Challenge that we've got going on right now. Myself and him are in lockstep of one and two right now in that challenge. So it is always great to get a fellow great college basketball mind on this podcast. Big thanks to him. For joining me in the last segment, now it is that time the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots.
1: Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. <laughs>
2: Do note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed, at GNNRS41. This is going to be very simple. We're going to be going with the games involving the bigger conferences first, and then here are the games that are going to be at the bottom, the Miac, the SWAC, the Patriot League. So... We're going to be going there and in time order with regards to both of those separations as we do start out with 865-866 on the vetting board. Virginia on the road against Syracuse. Syracuse opened up a 4.5-point underdog. They are now a 5-point underdog with your total between 132 and 132.5. And I did make Virginia a 5.5-point favorite. I'm willing to lay 5. Nothing more than 5, but I'm willing to lay 5. Last time these two teams met, Syracuse They lost on Virginia's home floor 73 to 66, got a cover, but... They needed to go 8 of 14 from three-point range to be able to do so. Now, it is a Virginia defense that isn't quite what it's been in past years. Virginia is still playing at a slow bottom 20 pace in all of college basketball, but Virginia hovering right around 41st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It is a Syracuse defense that made allowed 73 points the first time around even to a Virginia team that is playing quite slowly. And for Syracuse, 159th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis as we know the Syracuse team. They could really be torched from the outside as Virginia went 12-26 from three-point range first time around with Armand Franklin being the top scorer in that game with 16 points. And you take a look at this Virginia team and it could be a number of guys on any given night. As Franklin right now the top scorer 13 points, right around a 41% three-point shooting percentage but Reese Peekman, Kia Clark. They combined and shoot a little bit over 40% from three-point range, combining for 21.2 points. You get 11.1 assists to right around on 3.6 turnovers per game out of those two gentlemen. Jaden Gardner down low, 4.5 boards, 7.5 points per game. Kaden Shredrick gives you a steal and a block and a half per contest. Virginia, very much a locked and loaded team. And for Syracuse, they're playing a little bit more of a rotation this year, but it's not like they're going too deep into the bench. First time around, you did see Malik Brown have 10 points, 8 rebounds. I do think that Syracuse is going to need to get someone like him, Samir Torrance, going to be able to up out the likes of Joe Girard along Judah These two guys have been able to combine for 32.2 points. They combine for just under 8 assists, and Gerard, your main 3-point shooter at 38%, Jesse Edwards, 13.5 points, 7.5 boards down low. Benny Williams is someone like. He shoots 37% from 3, 7 points per game, but that said, you've got Jesse Edwards and really not a lot down low. Meanwhile, the, for this Virginia team, they do a good job of rebounding by committee. I do think that Virginia is going to be able to buckle down a little bit more with their defense. It's been a Virginia team that has been able to do uh, a tad bit better recently as they've now allowed 58 points or fewer in 3 out out of their last five games in that time span. They have been able to exceed 70 points three times, but it's not like they're necessarily playing harebrained games. I do think that for Syracuse, they are going to have a little bit of a tough time being able to put the ball in the basket in this one. 70 points are fear in each other last two games, so a circumstance where somebody told at 127 half, just with the sheer amount of possessions per game. I think that this is going to be going under and with Virginia, one to lay five with them. 867, 868 on the banging board. Chicago State, it's a red face off against the Citadel. Citadel is a favorite of two two and a half points. Your total on this game, you're finding an a between 139.5 and 140, and it's a circumstance where I did set my number at 2. Anything above 2 is a take for me on Chicago State. Anything below 2 is me laying it with the Citadel. I'm mostly seeing 2, so I'm going to be seeing this. Marinates a little bit of a 2.5 a, a little bit earlier, and that would be my buy point on Chicago State. This is a Citadel team that is very much on par with Chicago State in terms of defensive efficiency in that neither of these defenses are very efficient at all. Chicago State, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis for Aaron 32nd. Meanwhile, the Citadel... Three hundred and seventh, but should be pointed out the Citadel allowing more points per possession at home rather than on the road, and they really only have two main contributors, Stephen Clark and Austin Ash. Ash is your main three-point shooter, shooting 37.5% for distance. since he and Clark combined for 31.8 points, and combined to be able to give you about eleven and a half rebounds per game. Clark has been able to give you two and a half assists at two blocks as a versatile six foot seven, six foot little bit of a combo player, but past that nobody else on the team gives you north of three and a half rebounds per game. You do get 1.8 seals per game out of Elijah Morgan, but this is a Citadel team that they aren't doing a great job on defense. They don't turn the ball over a lot. Chicago State, they do turn the ball over more around 13 and a half times per game as it's a Citadel team that this is no longer the days of Duggarbock come. This is no longer going to be a circumstance where they're going to just run it and gun it down your throat. The Citadel, more of a team that's clocking in about 200th in terms of total possessions per game. Chicago State, they're about 290th. They've really sold things down, but for Chicago State, Wesley Carter Jr. I think is going to be the best player out there on the floor. 17 points, 5 boards, 3 assists, shooting 34% from 3-point range. Deshaun Corbett, who's been able to chip in their 8.5 boards, 13 points. Points per game, and even someone like Bryce Johnson has been able to shoot 41% from three. Chicago State, as a well. whole, they shoot 33% from the outside. They've put forth some really good efforts recently, and the offense is starting to turn around for this team. They've been able to break the 70-point plateau in three out of their last four games, with the lone exception. 65 points played against Sanford. You do fear that because in the last few weeks, they've been traveling to Texas. They're going back to the eastern part of the country. They played against Coastal Carolina last week. They played against Sanford last week. That that could be taken a little bit out of them, but the good news is they're facing off against a Citadel team that has just been all over the place themselves for this Citadel, they were able to get an 81-70 to 70 road win over Western Carolina about a week or so ago, but past that, 65 points are fewer and four out of their last five games, so this is a total I did set at 138. I'm going to be willing to dive under Citadel playing just a completely different side this year, and Anything of one and a half or less, want to lay with the Citadel two and a half or more is my buy point on Chicago State. It's sixty nine, eight seventy on the betting board. South Dakota, it's the road to face off against Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts, a seventeen and a half point favorite, and your total on this game one fifty three and a half. I set my total at one fifty three, so one fifty three and a half beginning to be my buy point on the under, and with Oral Roberts, want to lay the 17 and a half with them. Nothing more than that, as I made my number eighteen, but want to lay the 17 and a half. for Oral Roberts. Not to see the world's greatest effort against Omaha, they were only able to put 73 points up on the board. For them, that's very pedestrian considering it's an Oral Roberts team that's in the top 35. In terms of points scored, on a per-possession basis, and for Oral Roberts, they've only been held below 73 points twice all season long. Now it's to St. Mary's and Houston, which those are two very, very slow and very, very good defenses. You just take a look at this Oral Roberts team, and each out of your top seven scorers shoot at least 34.4% from three, with the man that shoots 34.4% from three being seven 7'5", Connor Vanover. is able to give you seven rebounds, 13.7 points, and three blocks per contest while shooting 83% at the free throw line while standing Seven foot five. We got Max Eastman, 22 points, five rebounds, four assists, making 93% of his free throws, 37.5% from the outside. Kareem Thompson chips in there five rebounds per game. It's a really well rounded team. And then for South Dakota, you're going up against an Oral Roberts team that is 126th in the country. It turns points allowed on a per-possession basis, and I do think that it's going to be really, really difficult for them to be able to match up in this spot, because for South Dakota, it's been a defense that all of a sudden has been going down the tubes, giving up 75-plus points throughout their last five games, despite the fact that they rank in the bottom one earned in terms of total possessions per game. You don't have a lot down, though. Tazos Comitetos is a good 6-foot-8 combo player, 12 points, 6 boards, shoots thirty-nine and a half percent per 3 per range, and then you do get 7 rebounds per game out of Deboni Hayes. For South Dakota, they shoot 40% from three, Cruz, Pedro Hunt, along with Dezos, Kamateros, and A.J. Plyswit, all combined to be able to give you about 38 points per contest with Plyswit shooting 48% from three-par range. I will say this for South Dakota, each other top five scorers do shoot at least 80% percent free line, so that is a big boost for them. That said, this is a South Dakota team that they're just completely up against it. I think that they are outgunned in this circumstance. It's an Oral Roberts team that has been able to get to at least 70 points in all but one game thus far this year, and that game against Houston. So I do think that South Dakota is going to be unable to slow down Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts has the goods in this spot. I did set my total at a 153, so you're at 153.5, willing to dive under, as you've got yourself an Oral Roberts team that's lot 72 points or fewer. In each of their last five games, going up against a South Dakota team that plays at a relatively slow and controlled tempo. So a circumstance where I'm going to be looking at the under and want to lay up to 17 and a half with Oral Roberts. 871, 872 on the betting board. UMKC plays those to South Dakota State. UMKC open up on a pick'em line. They are now between a 1 and F to a 2-point favorite with your total between 131 and F and 132. And this is an ordeal where I did make UMKC the very slight favorite of 1.5 points. 2 is going to be beginning to be my buy point on South Dakota State. Personally, what I liked most was the pick'em line that we were seeing a little bit earlier. seems to have dried up a little bit because with UMKC... They do a good job of just throwing at you a bunch of different defenses. This is a UMKC team that they've got the second most efficient defense in the conference behind Oral Roberts, who we were explaining about a little bit earlier. 155th in the country is UMKC in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. So I will say, for South Dakota State, they've turned over a little bit of a new leaf. They're 171st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up 2.3 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are on the road rather than at home, but now they have to go up against Jamari Allen. A lot Three, Quandis Mitchell, a pair of guys, they've combined for 35 and a half points about nine rebounds, four and a half assists. Allen gives you 2.2 steals per game and shoots 36.5% for three. Mitchell more in that pocket, about 32% from three-point range. They've been dealing with the injury to Anderson Cop all season long, but now they've got back to the fold their main big man, Allen David Mbeka Jr. He was missing for quite a while. Hasn't necessarily looked like himself in terms of rebounding in his first two games back. Now, he is coming off of a four-block and ten-point game against Denver. Only had four rebounds in that game. Overall for the season, averaging nine and a half points, seven and a half rebounds per game, and in his absence, they were really able to find something in Jeff Ngandu. Ngandu has had a combined 13 rebounds since we have seen back in the fold David M. Beckett Jr., but prior to that, he had a trio of games where he had 13-plus rebounds, so that is big for the GMKC team. Going up against the South Dakota State team that last year, they were number one in the country in three-point shooting percentage. Now they're shooting 33% as a collective from three-point range in the bottom half of college basketball. They do have the best takeover player in Zeke Mayo, who does it all. He gives you a steal, three-and-a-half assists, 6.3 rebounds, 17 points per game on 36% three-point shooting and 93.3% free-throw shooting. And it's a South Dakota State team that they do shoot 80% at the free-throw line. That's the top five mark in the country. From there, you've got guys like Matt Detlinger, William Kyle, Charlie Easley, Alex Arians. I'll give you between 8 and 11 points per contest with Arians and Detlinger. They both chip in their five rebounds per game. They do a good job of being able to facilitate by committee. And Kyle does give you a block per game. So South Dakota State has been able to play a little bit better on defense, and they've now become a little bit more of a mid tempo team. If you look at games that have wrapped up in regulation, they've given up fewer than 70 points at each other the last five games against Western Illinois. That game was 69 to 69 going into overtime. So, if you look at things that have wrapped up in regulation, the last time South Dakota State has given up north of 70 points is when they face off against Oral Roberts on December 19th. So, I believe that that was eight games ago. I am anticipating. A little bit of a lower scoring slog, though. South Dakota State starting to get things going a little bit more with their scoring. I do think that you could be in for some late game following, and we've also noticed UMKC get past the 70-point plateau into two other last three games. I did set my total at 135.5. Here at 132, 131.5, I'm going to be willing to go over two or more going to be my buy point on South Dakota State. If we get back to the pick em line that we saw on the open with UMKC, that'd be my buy point on them. 873, 874 is the DK Nation pick. You've got Baylor on the road against Texas Texas is back being a slight favorite of between two and two and a half points. Your total on this game, it is 150 to 151, mostly seeing 150 and a half, and DK Nishmik is going to be on the under. Semi-tall at 145, and a big reason why we have seen Baylor go through a little bit of a tempo shift. Baylor enters into this game on a five-game win streak, but prior to this five-game win streak, Baylor was ranked right around 70th in the country in terms of total possessions frame. They're now more around 145th. They've been playing at about five and a half possessions fewer, per game in this run. They are going up against a Texas team that they have been playing quite a bit more quickly and I do think that their defense has suffered a little bit as a result. Texas currently 54th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but I do think that they are going to rein it in, get back to their roots a little bit more as it is a Texas team that does enter having their defensive woes. They've given up at least 75 points in three of their last four games, but even despite that, they are a team that ranks 36th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Doing a very good job of rebounding by committee, and really both of these teams do. You don't have a single guy on either side that gives you north of 5.7 rebounds per game, but Baylor has been the better rebounding team, which leads me to believe that they are going to be able to win this tempo battle. Now, Texas, they've been able to get some good production out of Marcus Carr, shooting about 41%. From three-point range, he's been able to chip in there. 1.8 steals, 17.5 points per game. And Texas, they do a good job of being able to generate turnovers in the top 25 nationally in terms of turnover sports on a per-possession basis. This is the Baylor team taking a little bit of better care of the ball, but still about 140th in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis. They turn the ball over 12.5 times per game. and. Baylor can be a little bit hot and cold with their three-point shooting on the road. They're scoring about 10.6 points fewer per one 100 possessions than they are at home, though. You do have a trio of guys, LJ Cryer, Adam Flagler, and Keontae George, who have be able to combine for about 47.2 points per contest. George chips in there three assists, four and a half boards. Flagler, 4.9 rebounds, 1.5 steals per game. And it is a Baylor team that shoots 75% of the free-throw line. Baylor, in this recent run, they have given up 69 points or fewer in four of their last five games, with the lone exception being when they gave up 74. It's not even a team that is right now doing it on offense. 75 points or fewer in each of their last five games. So I do think that Baylor is going to be able to do a good job of be able to get things slowed down. But I do think that Texas, they just have a little bit too much depth in this spot, and they've been really good at home. You've got Timmy Allen along Serge Barry Rice, Tyrese Hunter, giving you all between 10.1 and 10.5 points per game. They all give you between 3.3 and 5.1 rebounds per game. And all three guys give you at least 2.2 assists per game. Allen and Hunter, both between 3 and 3.5 and respectively. You've got a team that they just are a well-oiled machine with this regard. Mitchell gives you four and a half boards, 6.5 points per game. Material Morris, is able to chip in there five and a half points. He's been able to do a solid job along the perimeter as well. So I take a look at Texas. I do think that the depth is going to be able to get to them. Baylor has had a couple of close calls, being able to get the win against Kansas was relatively rock solid, but they played a nip and tuck game against an Arkansas team that I'm not necessarily convinced is too terrific. And I do think that Texas is going to be able to get back to their defensive roots as well. I said Texas is a four point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the small number with a long. Longhorns at my DK pick. It is going to be on the total under. Semi-total at a 145. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games. 875-876 Iowa State is on the road facing off against Texas Tech. Texas Tech is a one-point underdog with your total 130. I actually said Texas Tech has a one and a half point favorite. Going to be taking them out right on the money line. I recognize that Texas Tech does not have a conference win thus far, but this is an Iowa State team that is very banged up. They did not have Caleb Grill in their game when they went on the road against Missouri, and I think that that's really a big cog for this Iowa State team, an Iowa State team that ranks in the top 10 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, number one in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. They've been dealing with an injury to LJ Kunit, as well that is really hurt them, so that means that you really have to rely upon Dr. Ron Holmes along Kate Kelcher who combined for 27 points, they chip in there a little bit over 5 assists, 3 steals per game, a shoot above 36% from 3-point range, but you can tell with Caleb Grill in slash out of the fold, this scene was completely different. Now, I do like Tame on lip speed. Not going to give you a lot of offense, but chips in there, 4.8 assists, 2 steals per game, so he's been very good for this punch. and with Texas X, they've been dealing with that Fardos Amec injury all season long, but that's said, you do have a Texas Tech team that despite all the woes that they've been having especially in conference play, this is still one of the better defenses in all of college basketball. It's not quite Iowa State but Texas Tech currently 49th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They do a good job of being able to generate 15 plus turnovers per game themselves. Kevin O'Banner has good versatility. six and a half boards, 15.5 points per game. It's a Texas Tech team as well. and a whole. Shoots 34.5% from 3 point range. They have been dealing with a little bit of injury to Pop Isaacs. He did not play in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, but You've got Davion Harmon out there. Gives you two steals, three and a half assists, 12 and a half points per game. I also do think that you are going to be able to get a lot down low out of Daniel Bacho, who's been able to chip in there, six and a half rebounds per game, and then Jalen Tyson. Nice, versatile player. Doesn't necessarily provide a lot of scoring, but I still remember back towards the uh, Texas swing that they had against Baylor and also Texas. He had a combined 31 points and 26 rebounds in that two-game stretch. He's able to take over a game, be very versatile at six foot six. and I do think that Iowa State being shorthanded in this game is going to be resulting in a little bit of doomsday. I did set my total at a 131.5. You do have a Texas team that ranks right around 100th in terms of total possessions per game. I do anticipate a little bit of late game falling in with Iowa State. We've seen it with them the last two games. They've had a little bit of a defensive fall off with the injuries giving up 76 and 78 points respectively and you do have a Texas Tech team that made themselves Giving up at least 68 points at each of their last five games, so gonna be willing to take the over. And with Texas Tech, set them as the very slight one and a half point favorite, so taking them out right on the money line. Now we get the extra games.
1: The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today,
2: so we go into the bonus. This starts with 306 501, 306 502. Colgate is gonna be playing with Loyola Maryland. Loyola Maryland is an underdog of 17 and a half points with your total between 137 and 137 and half. And with Colgate, I set them as an 18 point favorite, 17 and a half. Is the absolute maximum want to lay with them last time these two teams played Colgate was able to get over 100 points, 101 to 67. I don't think that they're going to go 14 of 23 from three and 67 percent from the floor like they did the first time around. And this is a Loyola Maryland team that is pretty dreadful. Loyola Maryland, not an up tempo team. They, as a matter of fact, are in the bottom 75 in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game. It has not led to them necessarily playing great on defense. Loyola Maryland out of your 363 D1 teams, 277th in the country in terms. Points a lot on a per possession basis. I will give this to Loyal Maryland. They're actually giving a 5.1 points fewer. Per one hundred possessions when they're on the road, rather than when they are at home. But they have to go up against a Colgate team that has Tucker Richardson, who does it all: fourteen and a half points, five boards, five assists, two point two steals on thirty-five percent three-point shooting. Colgate as a whole, they shoot thirty-nine and a half percent from three-point range, a top ten mark in the country. With Oliver Lynch, Daniels shooting forty-five and a half percent from distance, eleven and a half points per game. Keegan Records, along with Braden Smith, both give you twelve points per contest, respectively. On loyal Maryland, if they're looking to knock off Colgate, they need to do it down low. They don't have a ton. Colton D.K. has been able to give this team six rebounds per game. But really, he's one of two guys that give you north of four rebounds per game. Alonzo Faray has also been able to give you eight and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game. For Loyola Maryland, they do shoot 34.5% per three, but with their slow style, they also turn the ball over 14 and a half times per game. Now they have to try to shut down a Colgate team that ranks in the top 15 nationally in terms of offensive efficiency, the amount of points that you score on a per-possession basis. I will say this for loyal Maryland. They have now given up 67 points of fear in four of their last five games, but this is also a Colgate team that's dominating defensively. 65 points of fear surrendered by them in five out of their last six games. So I do think that things are going to be a little bit more in control than the 100 points that we saw surrender, but I still think that this is a little bit too low of a number as Colgate has just been running around Rough shot through this entire conference. I set Colgate as an 18 point favorite, 17.5 as a maximum on a lay, but one lay. and did make my total 140. So, also going to be taking a look at the over. 3.6503, four. Norfolk State is going to be playing as NC Central. NC Central, a 5.5 to a 6 point underdog, and your total is between 139.5 and, and 140. Set this summer at 5.5. Six is my buy point on NC Central. It's an NC Central team that has been one of your best against the spread teams at all of college basketball, and an NC Central team that is headlined. By a guy that is Mr. Wright and Justin Wright, who's able to chip in their 15.5 points, shoots 42.5% from three point range, 13 plus points in four of the last five games. I will say he's had a combined 12 turnovers in the last two games, which has caused for the team to lose their last two games, but NC Central, even despite that, 10 5 1 against the spread, they are going to need to shut down. Joe Bryant Jr. has been tremendous for the team 17 points, 3 assists, shoots 34.5%. From three power range for a Norfolk State team that typically they hang their head on defense, but they've been a little bit more of an offensive team this year. Norfolk State, of your 363 D1 teams. 287th in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. NC Central, they're 140th, but I will say this about NC Central, they are also allowing 17.4 points more per 100 possessions when they're on the road rather than when they are at home. You do have a guy in Chris Bankson. I like, though, 7.5 rebounds, 14 points per game. He is going to be a matchup with the Brendan Medley-Bacon show, though, as the Medley-Bacon of Bacon has been tremendous. He is a 7-footer, 11.5 points, 5.5 boards, about a block and a half per contest. He actually used to play in the Miac for, I believe it was, compensated and completely dominated a few years ago. He's been able to give the team a combined nine blocks. In the last three games, he's been able to contribute a double-figure amount of points in each of the last five as well, so he's really been able to hit some of his peak form. You've also got an NC Central team that gets eight points, five boards, 5.3 assists, and 2.3 steals out of Eric Boone, who's been able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-par range. NC Central as a whole, they're shooting 37.5% from three-par range. And for NC Central, they put the clamps down on defense, allowing 67 points or fewer And far the last five games, the lone exception, is when they gave up 71 points, and if you're looking in regulation, because they had an overtime game that they played against Morgan State. The last time they have given up north of 74 points is when they played against Marquette, I believe, 11 games ago. Meanwhile, for Norfolk State, they're turning over a little bit of a new leaf, giving up 68 points or fewer in three out of their last five games. You do have guys like Adana Tate and Christian Ings that over the last two seasons have shot above 36%. From 3-pound range, both of these guys are doing a nice job being able to contribute right in the neighborhood about 8 points per contest for Tate, 10 points for Ng. So I do like the backcourt of Norfolk State, and I do think that Norfolk State were the deficits of a very, very tough schedule to begin the season now that they're playing against a little bit more of a regular schedule we're certain to see them hit peak form but I still think that this is an NC Central team that's being a little bit undervalued and a team that's playing some relatively solid defense I do think that this is going to be a game that goes over just because I do think that in terms of the sheer amount of possessions that you get, that you're going to be able to have it go over Norfolk State has taken on a little bit of a new identity this year going a little bit more offensive base and you Take a look at NC Central, 140th in the country in terms of total possessions gained. And you've also got a game that I think is going to be decided by right around 5 or so points. As I said, my number at 5.5, so it's going to lead to some late game felling. So, going to be taking a look at the over in this ordeal. So, my total at 143.5 and 6 or more is by buy point on NC Central. 306-505, 306-506, Alabama AM and is on the road facing off against Bethune-Cookman. Cookman is the 1-1.5 one to one and a half point favorite total on this game. And between 142 and 143 and... I did set Bethune-Cookman as a two-and-a-half point underdog. I'm going to be willing to side with Alabama A&M outright on the money line. I do think that the A&M backcourt is going to be able to win the day. And top of that, you've got a Bethune-Cookman team that is just absolutely dreadful on defense. Out of your 363 D1 teams, Bethune-Cookman, currently 336th in the country. turns points a lot on a possession basis. Not to say Alabama A&M is some amazing defense, but you know what? 207th, a little bit more respectable as... The seven footer and Olisa Blaze Okanobi should allow Alabama AM to to be able to control the pain, he comes in from Morehouse College and he's been able to do a good job. Eight points, five and a half boards, 2.2 blocks per contest. He's had multiple blocks in each of the last four games and a double-figure amount of points. Three of them as well, not known as much of a scorer. Typically, that's your backcourt duo and Messiah Thompson along Garrett Hicks. Hicks has been able to chip in their 1.7 seals on 47.5% three-point shooting, 14.4 points per contest. Thompson, your main facilitator. 10 points, three and a half assists, 1.9 seals, shoots 41.5% per three for an Alabama A&M team that they do shoot just 66% of the free throw, 15 turnovers per game, but they do shoot also a smoldering 38% from three-point range. And really, this is one of your more up-tempo teams in the conference. 50th in terms of total possessions per game. Bethune and Cookwin, they're not looking to run it and gun it as much, but they're still relatively fast, right around 90th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And they've been really relying upon Zion Harmon for production. He's been able to do a solid job, a little bit over 14 points per contest. From three-point range, he is shooting about 35% from the outside, but with his Bethune-Cookman team, you only got one guy that gives you north of 4.8 rebounds per game, and that's 6'6", Kevin Davis. Good versatility, 10.5 points, 6.3 boards. Shoots about 34% from three-point range. It's a Cookman team that they turn the ball over about 13.5 times per game, but they've been dealing with so many injuries down low. Dylan Robertson has been out really since New Year's, Derek Carter Hollinger, the 6-6 combo player who came in from Montana, has not played since early January as well. Joe French is not what he was last season, last year in the backcourt. He shot 44% from three with 16 points per game. He's now shooting about 38% from three parmings, nine and a half points per game. He's so hot and cold, he had a 31-point game about two and a half weeks ago against Mississippi Valley State. Ever since that game, he has put in there 26 points in his last four. So that's not too terrific for a Bethune-Cookman team. That has certainly been hot and cold, but one thing that has been a constant, fact that Bethune-Cookman is giving up points upon points, They've allowed at least 70 points in six out of their last seven games. I do think that an up-tempo Alabama a and team is going to be able to exploit the Set Alabama A&M as a two and a half point favorite. I'm taking them on the money line as an underdog, made my total 144 and a half. So also looking at this total over 306507, 306508. Delaware State hits her face off against compensate. Compensate is a six to a seven point favorite, and your total it is between 149 and a half and 150. Set compensate as a nine and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay. It's a compensate team that is in a massive rut right now. They have been rudderless in miac play, but that said, with Delaware State. This team has been relatively sad. They are coming off of two straight wins against Morgan State and South Carolina State. That is a flash in the pan, in my opinion. They're going up against a compensate team that has lost five straight games, but it is a compensate team that, you know, the offensive firepower is there. They're in the top 15 in terms of total possessions per game, with Sam Sessions being a top 10 scorer in all of college basketball. 21.5 points, 4.8 assists, shoots 37% from three, compensated as a whole. They shoot 33.5% from the outside, going against a Delaware State team that. They're towards the bottom of all of college basketball in darn near every metric that you want to pull up. They're a bottom 10 offensive efficiency team at 363 D1 teams, 347th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. i will compensate 355th in the nation in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But that said, they're also allowing 18.6 points fewer per 100 possessions when they're at home rather than on the road. You've got Justin Sears, Elmo, able to give you 8.5 points, a block Five rebounds per game, and then Tark along Sam Sessions combined for four seals per game, and they go up against the Delaware State team that is creating turnovers at a rate that would make Sarah Lee proud. Fifteen point nine turnovers per game. This is despite the fact that they are two hundred and eighty third in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Now Brendan Stone is a six foot eleven combo player that gives you twelve points, five boards, shoots about thirty one percent from three point range and been able to get about nine and a half points, four and a half boards out of Martez Robertson, who's been able to shoot in the neighborhood about thirty. 30- 39% from three-point range. Delaware State, they do shoot 33% from three-point range. They were the, I guess you'd call it, beneficiaries of some good three-point shooting luck in their last two games against Morgan State and South Carolina State. This has been a squad that's not been able to exceed 66 points very often. They've been able to get past that plateau twice, and one of those games went to overtime. It is a Calvin State team that I will say they've given up at least 90 points to each other in their last three games. So it's a good old situation of something's got to give. A Delaware State team that can't score, and a Calvin State team that can't stop giving up points. I did set my total in the middle at a 143.5. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more controlled in this game. I do think that Compensate going to be able to turn over Delaware State with their two guards in Tark along with Sam Sessions. Semi-tall at 143.5 diving under Compensate made them a nine and a half point favorite. So I'm gonna be one to lay the number. Three out Morgan State plays out to Maryland Eastern Shore. The Shore is a one and a half point underdog. Total is between 138 and 139 and with Maryland Eastern Shore. set them as a two point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Morgan State. Not willing to lay anything more than a point point half but willing to lay the point and a half with Morgan State. You've got the top two players out there on the floor as you get 20 points per game out of Isaiah Burke. He chips in there 1.4 steals, three assists. She's 46% for three and Malik Miller. Six foot four, just a complete stat sheet suffers 15 and a half points, 9.8 rebounds, 3.9 assists per contest. He has been amazing. Problem is Malik Miller has been out the last two games and I am expecting him to be out of the fold once again. So that is not necessarily too terrific. Khalil Turner has been out of the fold really for the entirety of the new year. So that means that Cameron Hobbs is going to need to help out Isaiah Burke in this spot and Hobbs has been able to do a good job. He's been able to give the team a double figure amount of points and Four assists in each out of the last two games. He's able to shoot 47.5% from three-point range, and they go up against the Maryland Eastern Shore team that their lifeblood is being able to create turnovers. This is a squad that they generate about 10.5 steals per game, each out of their top five scores and six out of their top seven do give you at least one seal per game. You've got a trio of guys in Zion Stiles, Tom Phillip, along Kayvon Foyles, who have been able to combine for about 34.5 points per contest. You don't necessarily get a lot of facilitation out of these guys, and it's a very top-heavy team in terms of rebounding for Maryland needs for sure, because you've got one guy that gives you north earth 3.4 rebounds per game. Nathaniel Pollard Jr., 9.5 points, 8.5 boards. Does chip in their 2.2 assists per game as a versatile six five do-it-all sort of player, and then Styles does shoot 43.5% for three for a Maryland Eastern Shore team that is playing a little bit better with their offense. They've gotten past the 68-point plateau in four of their last five games, and Eastern Shore really riding this nice five-game win streak because they have been able to lock down on defense, giving up 73 points or fewer in four of their five games in a MIAC that has won the most up-tempo conferences in all of college basketball. That's rather impressive as Maryland Eastern Shore won the so it seems in this conference they are 195th in terms of total possessions per game. you got a Morgan State team that's not shy about just ripping it down your throat. Morgan State, 10th in the country in terms of possessions per game. So it's a good old circumstance of something's got to give. You got a Morgan State team that now allowed fewer than 71 points in each of their last two games after they were really giving up the points recently. And 71 points for fewer in three of their last four so. I do think that things are going to be a mid-tempo in this one. I set my total at a 142. I do think that you got the possibility of some late game felling, so going to be looking at the over in this spot. And I do think that for Morgan State, they're doing a good job of mixing and matching while they're dealing with the Malik Miller injury, and I do think that you still have Isaiah Burke being the takeover player in this game, willing to lay it with Morgan State, made them two-point favorite. I'm looking at the over, 306-511, 306-512. Howard is going to be playing against to South Carolina State. South Carolina State is a under Underdog of 11 to 11.5 11 points. Your total is between 154 and 155. I set my number at 10. I'm going to be one. Take the 11 to 11.5 11 with South Carolina State. South Carolina State just three straight up wins as far this season, but they've been very close recently. They have lost six straight games, but you take a look at these losses, and they've had just one loss in which it was by more than 12 points. That was their most recent one against Norfolk State. They lost that game by 14, but this has been a rather competitive team. You've got a pair of guys in Lucian Holmes, Couple with Raekwon Gary, who both give you about 11.5 points per game. Gary chips in there, three assists, shoots 34% for three. Hollums, he's able to shoot 38.5% for the outside. It's a South Carolina State team that's not bashful about running it and gunning it. They're in the top 20 nationally in terms of total possessions per game for Howard. This team overall for the season is more around 50th in terms of possessions per game, but you take a look, ever since conference play has started, and I don't think that there's been a single team with more of an upward tempo shift than Howard. They're playing like six to seven possessions more per game in conference rather than out of conference as Steve settled the third and Elijah Hawkins have been your headline scorers. Hawkins gives you five point seven assists, a three point seven turnovers per game. Does shoot forty seven percent from three point range. Big key for him is being able to reduce on the turnovers because that has been a bugaboo for him all season long. But settle the third, it's six foot ten. Pop three so it doesn't necessarily do so well, but gives you a steal and a half, six rebounds per game, and then you got just a lot of guys like a Jelani Williams, a Marcus Dockery that are able to give you right around 9, 9.5 points per game. Kobe Dixon has dealt with a little bit of an injury, but he's back in the fold after he was dealing with quite a bit of it. He's been able to give the team about five points, comes in after he was at a Cornell team that played super-duper fast as well last season, but I do think that for South Carolina State, they're going to be able to hold in there on the glass. Savion Everett has been able to give this team six rebounds per contest. You've got a team that in general has turned the ball over about 14.5 times per game, but Howard, they've had all sorts of turnover woes themselves, turning it over nearly 16.5 times per game, and I do think that South Carolina State is going to do a good job, be able to get a few turnovers in this game. I do think that for Howard, they are, looking going to play a little bit more defense. They started out the year playing a little bit more of a mid-tempo and it is a South Carolina State team that they've been a little bit hot and cold with regards to their offense if you're looking in terms of games that have wrapped up in regulation because they played an overtime game against Delaware State where they allowed 14 points in overtime, 71 points or fewer scored by them in each other last four games. Meanwhile, it's a Howard team that has allowed 67 points or fewer in three of their last four. So I set my total 152 diving under and will take the points with South Carolina State, 306-513, 306-514. Grambling is going to be playing against Alcorn State. Alcorn State is an underdog of 5.5 to 6 points, and your total is between 135 and a half And 136 and, a half. and with Alcorn State, I set them as a 5.5-point underdog. 6 is my buy point on them. It is a grambling team that now has Kayatari Gordon back the fold. A top recruit of, I'm not even kidding here, 2016, but he's been really their main man. Down low, 12.7 rebounds per game returned for the first time in a few weeks in their game against Jackson State, did not play his full allotment of minutes, only 14 minutes in this one. He typically averages more like 27 to 28 at 5 points, 2 steals. I expect him to be a little bit closer to 100% in this game, and for Grambling, you do have a pair of guys in Shadarius Coward along Cam Christian, who have be able to combine for about 26 points per contest. They both shoot between 34.5 and 36% from 3-point range, but for Grambling, they do turn the ball over 15.5 times per game, while shooting about 64.5% in the free line. while not even necessarily being an up-tempo team. Grambling, they're ranked right around 150th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. For Alcorn State, they're right around 120th themselves, and Alcorn State it's one of those holes greater than the sub-of-its parts teams. You do have a top scorer in Dominic Bruton that does give you 13 13.5 points steal per contest, but for Alcorn State, they shoot 28.5% from three-point range. You have just one out of your top eight scores that is able to shoot above 30% from three-point range, but with that said, You've got a lot of guys like a Brian Joshua, Jeremiah Kendall. You're able to throw in there at Don Trowell, That'll give you between about 7 to 10.5 points per game. Keandre Montgomery, who began his career at Mississippi State. He's returned from injury for 10.5 points, 4 boards. He's been rock solid for this team. Alcorn State is able to generate about 8 steals per game. And this is a pair of teams that are two of your better defensive teams. In this conference. Now, with Grambling, they are by far the best defensive team on the SWAC in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. It's a team that ranks 44th in the country. But you know what? For Alcorn State, they've been able to improve a little bit. They are 223rd, but they've been giving up in their last three games about 7.5 points fewer per winner in possessions. You've got Kendall who's able to give you 7 rebounds per game. He should be able to do a good job against a little bit of a Hobble Gordon. And for this Alcorn State team, they have now allowed in regulation fewer than 70 points so far their last five games. You've got a Grambling team that has allowed 70 points or fewer and far their last five as well. So I do think that things are going to be relatively under control in this game. I did set total total 133 and I I'm diving under without currency state. We'll take six or more with them. Three at six five 15, 3 at six five, 16. Florida AM is going to be playing us at Alabama State. Alabama State between a one and a half to a two point favorite. And your total it is between one twenty four and a half and one twenty five. For Florida A&M, something as a 3-point underdog. I'm going to be one to lay it with Alabama State. Now, Alabama State, a bottom five team in all of college basketball in terms of field goal shooting percentage, but you've got range with Isaiah Range, who's been able to give you 14 points, seal an after contest, shooting 44% per three, and it's an Alabama State team that though they don't shoot it well from floor, they do shoot 74% at the free line. They turn the ball over 13 times per game. For this conference, that's not too bad. They're going up against a Florida A&M team that is in the bottom 100 in terms of total possessions per game. They rank 300. 22nd in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and Florida A&M is one of the worst teams at taking care of the ball in all of college basketball. Despite their slow tempo, 16.6 turnovers per game, they shoot 37.9% from the floor. Good news is they've been able to get Dominguez Stevens back at the fold. He was dealing with a little bit of an injury. Seton all transfer, who's been able to give the team right around 9.8 points per game, but you also got a Florida AM team that has one guy that gives you north of 3.6 rebounds per game. That'd be Jalen Bates. And Bates, has been able to do a solid job down low. He's giving you seven rebounds, nine points per contest, but you just need literally anything else. Jordan Tillman has been able to chip in their 10.5 points per game. He's coming off of a nice big goose egg after he had scored double figures in each of the previous four, but this is a Florida a team that is just completely rudderless at this point. You take a look at their offensive outputs. The last time they were able to exceed 60 points, so keep in mind, they're going up against teams out in the swack was against Southern on the 7th of January. They have scored 60 points or fewer, and now 7 out of their last 8 games. I did those semi-total at of 131, just because you've got an Alabama State team that is pretty shockingly bad on defense as well in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. 272nd. We had a pair of teams that are relatively bad on defense. A pair of teams are having a tough time putting the biscuit in the basket. Something's gotta give. I think that both of these teams are gonna be approaching 65 in this ordeal. So I'm gonna be willing to take a look at the over with Alabama State. I set them as a three-point favorite. Part of the reasoning for the over as well is that I do think that you get late game fouling with it being that close as well. But one lay up to two and a half with Alabama State and looking at the over, and we wrap things up with 306, 517, 306, 518. Southern is gonna be Playing out to Jackson State. Jackson State is an underdog of eight points in your total between 146F and 147F. And in this ordeal, I did set Southern as a seven a half point favorite. Eight is my buy point on Jackson State. Jackson State has been very competitive recently as they were able to get a win over SMU on the road. They played within 10 points against both Mississippi State along with Michigan. And it's a Jackson State team that they don't necessarily have that one primary scorer, but they've got a trio of guys in the backcourt. Trace Young, Colty Young, Ken Evans that have been able to do a good job, that as a collective, they've been able to average about 32 points per contest. You get a combined three steals out of them. They combined to shoot about 32% from three-point range. But the guy that goes under the radar, began his career at Portland, is Chase Adams. Adams went down to the junior college level, and he doesn't give you a lot of scoring. Only about six and a half points per game, but 3.4 assists, 1.2 steals per contest. He's actually coming off of double figures in each of the last four games. He's had at least five assists in four of the last five games. He's a big reason why Jackson State has been a little bit more prolific with their offense recently. A Jackson State team that they do turn the ball for 16 times per game and they're running into a Southern team that ranks in the top three nationally in terms of turnovers for us on a per possession basis and is a Southern team that in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. Able to do a solid job with those turnovers. Turning that into them being about 123rd in this metric. Jackson State leaving a little bit of something to be desired on the defensive side of things. 279th, terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but with Southern, you don't have a single guy that gives you north of 4.1 rebounds per game. You have Brian Whitney, Tyrone Lyons, along with Bryce ATN They've been able to combine for as a trio... 11 rebounds per game. They give you about 33.5 points per contest, and they all shoot at least 35.5% for three, Southern as a well. whole. They do shoot 36.5% from the outside. We have seen Southern be a little bit hit or miss in terms of their defense, though, giving up 68-plus points in four out of their last five games. It is a Jackson State team that they've been able to turn over a little bit of a new leaf recently, as they've given up now 66 points or fewer in six out of their last eight games, so they've done a much better job on that side of things. It is Ajax's state team that they might not dominate down low, but having someone like a Tracy Young, who I was mentioning before, give you six rebounds per game, that's big in one of these ordeals. And I like the way that you've seen Jamarcus Jones be able to turn it on for this team as well. Actually began his career at Southern, about nine points. 3.7 3.7 rebounds per contest. He has had double figures in three of the team's last five games. He's able to generate just under a steal CO per contest as well, so I do think that Jackson State is going to be able to hold in there. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a higher scoring game with Southern playing at a bit of a more rapid pace as they rank in the top 50 in terms of total possessions per game, but that said, I think that we've went a little bit too high with both of these teams having their turnover. Set semi-total, 145.5, diving under, and with Southern made them a 7.5-point favorite, so won't we'll take eight or more with Jackson State, and that will wrap things up for the Monday edition of Coast, to Coast soups Coast now part of the Visa and Family Podcast, a big thanks to Jim Root for joining me in the last segment. Does amazing work over at the three-man weave. And if you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast, to Coast soups Coast you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you, for this podcast, you have one of two ways to go further in. First one is my Twitter timeline at jn underscore d one Keep in mind, letters M yeah. maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like here on this podcast. Find that five star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. It means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.